Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say... Goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what? I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35. This is a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I am Dory Shafrir. And we're not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. You can always visit our website, forever35podcast.com, for links to everything we mention on the show. You can find us on Instagram at forever35podcast, and you can join the Forever 35 Facebook group where the password is serums. And I also just want to put in a plug for our shelves on shopmy.us slash forever35, where you can find our favorite products, including Kate's butt care mm-hmm, mm-hmm. shelf. You can sign up for our newsletter at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. We have a new newsletter going out tomorrow. So if you want to get in on that, sign up. And if you want to reach us, we have a voicemail and text number at 781-591-0390. And our email is forever35podcast at gmail.com. That's all the stuff. 
that is all the stuff. Um, Kate, you know how I'm always like complaining about like how cluttered my house is and how I have too much stuff and like I need to get organized. I want to honor you and say yes, but I don't actually feel like you complain. I think it, it, I don't think it's, when you say complain, it's not like um, you're just nagging. I think it is like a heavy thing that weighs on you and stresses you out. It is. It is a heavy thing that weighs on me and stresses me out. I think I'm just feeling self-conscious because I've been talking about this for years and every time I try to improve things, I feel like I just get overwhelmed and things go back to the way they were. Mm. So that's my, that's my baseline. And I guess I'm self-conscious about sounding like a broken record. People are probably just like, get it together. I actually think it's pretty relatable to kind of exist in that, the, the quote unquote broken record space when it comes to home clutter. I don't think it's, Mm. I don't think it would actually be relatable if you're like, I got it together. I solved it. I got rid of all my clutter and now everything's organized. Like, no, I think, (laughs) I think most of us are in this cycle of like, we clean up one pile and then like the other pile doubles. And like, I, I, I actually think your experience is very human. And I, I hope you don't feel like there's something wrong with you or like, um, there's anything to be like ashamed about because I I feel I connect with what you're saying and I bet other people do too. Well, I have taken a stab at some organization in the last few days. Um, I have reorganized my dresser drawers, which, you know, I like, I like to, I like to periodically go through my clothes and like sell or give away clothes that I, that no longer serve me. Mm-hmm. But I I find that I usually do that in my closet and that I just sort oh. of like ignore what's in my drawers. Fascinating. Fascinating. And I was the drawers like, just never get unpacked. The drawers never get unpacked. And like there were a few drawers that were like especially chaotic. And the other thing that I was realizing is that like there were certain things that were just in like five different drawers. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like, like I had socks? sweatshirts. No, like sweatshirts. I had a, I had okay. a sock drawer, but like okay. there was no dedicated sweatshirt drawer. So they would like show up in various drawers because I would just like shove them in. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like be like, oh, there's yeah, a little do. room in the t-shirt drawer. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to mm-hmm. put a sweatshirt in here. So yeah, I never it has really, shirt in the name. Yeah. So I never, but I never, that meant that I never really had a handle on like how much stuff I had because it was all dispersed. So I was like, okay we need to do something about this. So I took like everything out of the drawers and went through it. And I gave a bunch of stuff away in my buy nothing group, which if you're not familiar with buy nothing, it's really an amazing, um, it's an, it's amazing. It's amazing thing. They, I think it started on Facebook and it's all very, it's like hyper local and you have to join the buy nothing group where you live. You can't be in more than one buy nothing group. And it's all like they set geographic boundaries. And I remember when I first tried to join my local buy nothing group, the one for my neighborhood had like gone dormant because no one was willing to like admin it. And then someone took it over and it got, it got revived. Um, which is great, obviously. But they also have an app, which I have not used, but 
Oh, really? I, think, I did I not know it, that. Yeah, they do. They have an app, um, which like the admin of our group periodically like reminds people of. Um, and I think it's also like if you're not on Facebook, you could pr- mm. you could conceivably use the app. I don't know how active the app is. It the Facebook group is very active, so I don't you know I don't know how much actually gets done on the app. But if you're on Facebook, it's worth looking for your local buy nothing group. And there's like various rules that I won't get into, but the point is that people give away stuff. You you can only give away stuff for free, and you can only like take stuff for free. You can't say like, I'm looking to buy a blah, blah, blah. Um, Anyway, so there was a bunch of stuff that I was like, even if I tried to sell this, I would get like $3 for it. And why don't I just give it away? Um, Because I also feel like giving stuff away is good karma. Like I give away a lot of of Henry's old clothes because it feels like I'm paying it forward. Like a lot of people with kids older than Henry have given me a lot of clothes and I kind of want to like keep that keep that going so I give a lot of clothes away to people who have kids like just a little bit younger than Henry even though they'll never be able to give me clothes it's like I want to just like encourage that vibe you know what I'm saying I like this vibe wow I have a lot of thoughts about this apparently anyway so I did that and then and then I revived this old Instagram account that I have Dory's closet it where I have sold stuff. And when I went, when I logged into it, I realized I hadn't posted anything on it since like fall of 2021. So I went like a whole year with, you know, more than a year without posting anything on it. And I posted some stuff. I sold a bunch of stuff, mailed it out. So that also felt good. Like the stuff that I was like, I could give this away, but like, it's like, it's still pretty nice. And like, I could use the money. (laughs) So like, why don't I see if I can sell it? Um, so yeah, so that felt good. And the upside was that I totally reorganized all my dresser drawers. And now I have a sweatshirt, like I have a place for sweatshirts. And like my pants are organized. I have like a soft pants drawer, (laughs) and a hard pants drawer. (laughs) <laughs> and a jeans drawer. <laughs> oh my god. My pajamas oh are my all gosh. in one place. My pajamas had been like dispersed. Like mm-hmm. it was just like it was chaotic. And I'm feeling so much better about the way my drawers are organized. So just wanted to share. You know what? It's so interesting you mentioned this because I did a very kind of quick drawer reorganization a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. Where I pulled everything out and I didn't do it the whole dresser at once. Like I did one drawer, like my workout yes. clothes drawer. Yes, yes, yes. And I was also in a state of chaos. And one thing that really helped in addition to doing that was getting some drawer dividers. So, oh, I have drawer like, dividers. It really, it really makes a difference. And so, like yeah, my t shirt, my shirt amazing. drawer, like it has like tank tops in one side, then in the middle, it's t shirts, and then on the right, it's long sleeves. And the other thing that really helps that goes to shit, but I have to like, I think it's important to like pull everything out and redo it is folding it. I forget there's a, there's a name for it. Um, it's not where you stack everything on top of each other, but you fold it like, uh, like, like file, like file folding, I think is what it's called. Do you do this? Cause this so that, I find I do helps do me this. so much. I do do this because I learned this from Marie Kondo. Yes. This truly makes a difference in my drawers. Yes, because you can see everything. 
Yes. Yes. I'm trying to get my kids to do it because they put their clothes away. Like they do their own laundry and put their clothes Mm -hmm. away. But my youngest daughter, she calls it like this. She just does the stuffing method where she just, she doesn't fold it. She stuffs it in her drawers. (laughs) Like that's her. And again, like I'm kind of like, well, you're in charge of it. So. Right. You know, like I don't do your laundry or put your clothes away. Like it's your thing. But then she can never find anything. And then she has the same kind of hers is hers is ultimate chaos. There's ultimate chaos happening in her drawer. Oh, it feels good talking about drawers. Almost like I just cleaned out a drawer, even though I didn't. But oh, cleaning out a drawer. Yeah. Um, and my my next goal is my office. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it right which now on the video be, screen. Which will be a bigger thing. Um, I recently I got rid of a lot of I gave away a lot of books recently, and that was good because I f- like I've historically found it hard to give away books. Oh yeah. It's like giving away bits of your soul. Yeah, but I'm trying to just be like really practical. I'm it's interesting you're bringing this up because one realization I've had about myself post ADD diagnosis is that I function best in a world uh, that's clutter-free and very organized, but the world I create is cluttered and disorganized. And so I don't know how to reconcile those two things about myself. Yeah, I feel the exact same. Right? Like, yeah, I know what it's I need. Yeah, it's really challenging. I, I, I mm-hmm. like, I create the opposite of what serves me. Yes. 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 I don't yes. know. Um. Uh, this is I've been thinking about organization a lot. Like one thing, one thing I I want to do, but then I don't know if this is just creating more like stress. Is I was thinking about like writing a master list of all the spots in my house that need to be like picked up, mm. like and making it very specific. Like there's one kitchen counter that's like the dumping ground. Like I went over there today and there's an, there's an open COVID test box sitting on top of a box of tissues and like a dog chew next to a ripped up kid's book next to like a candy cane. Like it's like that countertop, you know, you know that countertop. I do. Like I need to clean that countertop. Like I need, there's, and then there's like the general, like our bedroom, but, but then there's specific like sections of the bedroom. So I had this vision where I create this master list and then every day I give myself like 30 minutes and I tackle one thing, Mm. but, and I would, and, you know, divide it with the old husband too. But I just, just the thought of making the list feels overwhelming. So I haven't gotten there. Yes, I agree. Well, I have a product that's come into my life that I want to like shout about from the rooftops. Okay. And consider this podcast a rooftop. Okay. Consider this me shouting. So my friend shared that her favorite hair serum is the Trader Joe's Shea Butter and Coconut Oil Hair Serum. And she shared like, this is the best hair, like this is my favorite hair serum. I love it. And And that just registered in the back of my brain. The back of my brain, I was like, great. The next time I go to Trader Joe's and I'm in that little toiletry section that they have, I'm going to look for it. So the, I was there in the old TJs and I found this hair serum, $4.99. I also got their dry shampoo, but I haven't used it yet. Mm. And I took it home 
and used it on my hair. And I also used it on my eldest daughter's hair. And I don't know if you recall, but the eldest daughter in the home here has extremely thick, fine, wavy hair that we are constantly kind of looking for things to kind of help. Mm-hmm. Um, also, because she's in charge of caring for her hair like i'm trying to find things that make it easier for her to do that like help with keeping it untangled and blah 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 that when i tell you that this hair serum came into our life like a miracle uh, like i don't even this shit is the best it's great wow. dory i have been using it on my hair my hair is very long and the ends get dry So I've been putting it when my hair is wet, just at the ends. And it is just giving it a silkier vibe. Not as like, it kind of gets like dry and crusty and tangled at the ends sometimes. Yes, I probably need a trim, but that's neither here nor there. But when I tell you that my kid's hair, like it just makes her hair easier to brush, like less tangly, smoother. She can run her hands through it and doesn't get stuck. Like... This shit is amazing. It's amazing. Wow. Yes. This is, and I, I have to say, like, I know there are a lot of loyalists to certain Trader Joe's products, and I have never had that moment where I, like, really hit it off with a Trader Joe's product. Mm-hmm. Even, there's even, like, a holiday-scented candle that people I know, like, that comes out around December that smells like a pine tree forget the exact name of it. And people are like, this candle sells out. You must, if you see it, you've got to get it. So I went and I bought four of them because I saw them and I lit mm-hmm. it and I was like, I don't need this can. This candle's fine. So I haven't had a moment where I've been like, this Trader Joe's product is the thing. Let me mm-hmm. tell you, this hair serum, Dory, is the thing. One final comment I need to make. I have fine, thinner hair. My child has thicker, wavier hair. This stuff works on both our hair. You don't seem as blown away as I want wow. you to be. I want you to be. No, I mean, I am. I, I'm, <laughs> I am. I am blown away. Um, do you think it would work on my hair? I th- would not put it on your scalp. I think it's. it's I think it's a roots only. Pro- like I think it's for Ooh, most of us. Okay. It's going to be kind of like you're working the ends of your hair. For shorter mm. hair, I'm not sure this is your item. Maybe. Also, it all depends on our hair texture and wave and like curl, all of it, right? Like it's our our hair is so individual. Um, But for $4.99, speaking of buy nothing, like I do feel like you could buy it and try it and pass it on if it doesn't work for you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mention this because I have been trying to find a hair serum. This is now something I want to own. And I tried to find one at Target and they were sold out. So I I came across this one and I was just like shrugged. Yeah, this is okay. interesting because I feel like I am constantly on this quest to get sort of smoother hair. Like I feel mm-hmm. like I have a lot of flyaways mm-hmm. and, I, help. and I don't know how to tame them. So I'm curious. I, you know, the, the anti-static spray that I have does help. Um, and I'll sometimes spray it on my brush and brush my hair. And then my hair does look, smoother um but i've been like wanting to get something that makes my hair just look smoother so i don't know this is intriguing i'm sorry that i didn't seem as excited as you were (laughs) hoping for it's because i've had a coffee a tea and a flat white 
So I'm a little bit wow. Like, okay. I'm riding a a wave of caffeine this morning that I'm you know, and as I told you recently, I'm trying to cut back on caffeine. But um, Anthony was up at three thirty in the morning to catch a flight, so I have kind of been up since three thirty in the morning. So I'm you know I'm self medicating. Gotcha. Hey, before we take a break, can I ask you a question? Of course. I'm going to throw this out from left field for you. Should I get a flip phone? Um, Here's where this is coming from. Can I tell you? Yeah. I got influenced by a college student's TikTok where she revealed, this is a viral TikTok, she and all her BFFs got flip phones because they determined that their smartphones are what make going out hell. It's what causes mm. like drunken text fights or bad hookups or photos that they wish they hadn't taken and posted to social media. And so they decided that if they got flip phones, they wouldn't do any of those things. They would just call each other and take like take photos with them. And apparently these flip phones have changed their lives. They still have their smartphones, which they use, but they have these flip phones for going out. Now, you might be asking, Kate, are you in college and do you go out a lot? And the answer to both those questions is no. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah. You were wondering if secretly I've been at the University of I Illinois like, with these girls. No. Yeah. I was just, well, I was kind of like, is this, is this an actual issue for you, Kate? Are you drunk texting people you shouldn't be? <laughs> no, but it made me think like, I wonder if they're, if similar, like if it can be applied into a 43-year-old's life. Just a, just this is just kind of like a food for thought thing that I yeah. was thinking about right before we started recording and I just I just wanted to pose, just want to pose it. What I'm hearing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that you want like the old Did you have like the Nokia like bullet looking phone? Did you have that I phone? I never did. Like the kind of original cell phone that was like cool and everybody had the like did 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 ring on it um that's really specific like the weird looking here i'm gonna i'm gonna text you a picture of something that is on ebay as original nokia 3310 unlocked retro cell phone i see this phone (laughs) and i did not have this phone but i wish i did this is like such a chic cool fucking cell phone i had this it's like an iconic phone it was an iconic phone i (sighs) i like it it was it was like the phone oh my god you can buy it i'm on nokia's website and it says the icon is back yeah so like maybe this is what you should get wait a second this is fascinating i wonder what would i do if i did an experiment where i like lived off of my iphone for a month i wouldn't be able to text no you would you can text with these phones but Dory, it's the kind where you have to scroll through the numbers. Remember that nightmare? You just sit there and like pound the numbers to get to the letter you want. Yes, I do remember that. So you you would only send very short texts. <laughs> I, you know what? Honestly, like I am truly kind of intrigued by this. This I'm could be an saying. absolutely stupid idea, but I find it intriguing. Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, they have flip phones. Oh, God, I love a flip phone. God, this brings me back. Okay, uh, listen, listeners, what do you think? Are we all going to start using flip phones in 2023 to, to get our mental health in check? Or am I just having a hyperfixation that's going to disappear in a day? You let me know. I mean, I don't know, Kate. 
This is interesting too. They have a they have a modern flip phone. <laughs> this one, I see this. If yeah. I could text regularly, I would almost consider one of these. Th- one of these. So you want a BlackBerry? Oh, what I wouldn't give. Yeah, I honestly, yes, maybe that's what I want. Maybe, maybe I want, want a Blackberry. Blackberry. But I think Blackberries are didn't Blackberry dissolve? Like, isn't that company dead? I thought they came back, but. Maybe they don't like work on any network. <laughs> I am looking. BlackBerry looks to me like they are a cybersecurity company now. Oh, smartphones. Oh, okay. All right. Never God, mind. You know, BlackBerry's had such a run there too. Like that was such a chic ass phone. Mm-hmm. People with Blackberries. Paris Hilton. Remember her walking around with her BlackBerry in like 2000? Yes, like Kim Kardashian. Five? Yes. Um, well, listen, this has been Whew. a fun walk down memory lane, but... We are going to take a short break. And before we do that, we are going to introduce our guest. We are talking to Natalia Melman Petrozella. She is a historian of contemporary American politics and culture, the author of Classroom Wars, Language, Sex, and the Making of a Modern Political Culture, and most recently, Fit Nation, The Gains and Pains of America's Exercise Obsession. She's also the co-producer and host of the acclaimed podcast, Welcome to Your Fantasy, and the co-host of Past Present Podcast. She's a columnist at The Observer and a frequent media guest expert, speaker, and contributor to outlets like The New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, and The Atlantic. And she's also, as if that wasn't enough, she is the associate, excuse me, she's an associate professor of history at the New School, co-founder of the wellness education program, Health Class 2.0, and a premier leader of the mind-body practice Intensati, which I have had the pleasure of taking her Intensati classes in New York City many years ago. And she is an inspiring teacher and an inspiring podcast guest. Yeah, she was amazing. Um, So we're going to take a short break and then we'll come back with our interview with Natalia. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the US and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So, This is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. 
Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with glorious dynamic. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually... Actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince. But it was a little chilly out, so I threw on my cashmere hoodie. Also from Quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. It, it, like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I, I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from thirty dollars. You got washable silk tops, really stunning fourteen karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings. There's nights out. It's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Superpower Short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology 
that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite honey love piece. Let me, let me just tell you why. Yeah. Get into it. Do you want to tell me why? No, no. I was just (laughs) going to say like, I, I, I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes. That's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh God, like get this off of me. No, thank <laughs> once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it could like, be. Yes. Also like summer sweat under those underwires. is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. Natalia, welcome to Forever 35. We're thrilled to have you here. We have many questions for you, um, but we always begin each interview asking a guest to share a self-care practice. So we like to just put you on the spot immediately. Okay. So I know the world is crazy. Everything is is nuts. But do you have something that brings you uh, a calm in your life that you consider a self-care practice? Yes. I go for walks with my husband. Um, it is just, I wish we didn't need to be in motion to put our phones away, but it helps. And we just make time. Like we put it in the calendar. We just did this today, like in the middle of the day. It's just a really lovely way to get some fresh air, spend time together, not be looking at our phones or responding to the kids. And yeah, it's been, it's become, it was like a pandemic thing. And now it's just a life thing. I like so that cool. it's with another person. I feel like so often, like I go, I've been going on a lot of walks, but they're very kind of like time by myself, but it's, mm. but there is that like the walk and talk and you're, are you in New York city? I am in New York city. So we go on the West side um, mm-hmm. on the river. Yeah. I mean, there's also that just the New York city walking experience. That's so delightful, but there's something about being with another person and using that time to connect, especially when it's your partner That's really lovely. Well, you know, I like to like take the stakes down on like date night kind of things. Like I think, I don't know if you guys have partners or kids, but like there can be this like, oh my God, we have to go out and have dinner and have so much fun and spend all this money. And I'm like, sometimes I don't want to get dressed and like, you know, do this whole thing. And just to go for a walk and you're like your sneakers and your parka and have that time is great. I will say though that I do enjoy alone time too. And for me, um, I am really into 305 fitness, which is a dance cardio practice, practice, dance cardio class shouldn't be so self-important. And that to me is just so fun to like take that hour, go to the studio, dance, listen to music, sweat on my own, um, or at least not with people I'm related to. It's really lovely. So yeah, love (laughs) self-care. Well, that's kind of a great segue into just kind of getting a a quick recap. And I mean, this is this could probably, we could talk about it for an hour, but a quick recap on your journey into fitness and throughout fitness as a participant, because you also study it, but, but what was it, 
when did you kind of first come into fitness and how, how have you experienced it at different moments in your life? Yeah. So it started a long time ago, though, not as long ago as some people would assume. Um, I was really unathletic as a kid. I was totally, totally intimidated by sports, PE, dance. Like I was just this girl really happy reading my books and taping songs off the radio. And what happened was at junior year of high school, so like 94, 95, I was so like humiliated by PE class. I'm like, I just got to get out of this. And I realized you could do an independent study in phys ed, had to be supervised. And my my um, parents were like, we're not getting you a personal trainer. Like rich people do that. <laughs> and they said, we do belong to the Jewish community center and they have group fitness classes there. So you can go. I didn't even know what that was, but I'm like, this is better than PE. And I went to step aerobics and like, you know, Natalia was amazing. born. Yeah. And so like ever since that moment, it's looked at different ways at different times, but I just, what I discovered in that room, I who had been so intimidated by everything kind of athletic or physical. I'm like, oh my God, this is so so fun. I love to move. I love being in my body. Like I just love it. And so like in college, I worked the desk as a front desk girl to, in order to get a free gym membership at a place in New York city. And just, you know, then I started doing marathons when I moved to California for a while. And it's just always been this part of my life. And so I really was a participant first, um, before certainly I started like getting into it as a scholar. Okay. Wait, just an aside, <laughs> because I know you're from Boston and we are also from Boston, and I know exactly which JCC you're talking about <laughs> in Newton. Yes, and exactly the Newton JCC, a historic yes, spot. And I, we also belong to the Newton JCC. I was on the swim team at the Newton JCC. Spent oh a lot God. of time at the Newton JCC in that gym with the track. Wow. Like yes, yeah, the so, track. That's so yep, funny. Yep. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Right a historic site. <laughs> historic <laughs> site. So then how did you kind of begin taking a scholarly approach to looking at fitness with this kind of critical eye? And and I'm wondering, like, not just fitness culture in general, but like your own participation. Yeah. So I am just chronically always in my own head. That is not a good thing, but occasionally it works for doing things like writing, you know, a, a scholarly book about the gym. So I guess that no one's ever asked me that question in that way, but I guess it kind of started with this like feminist ambivalence that I had about how much I loved going to these classes. Because on the one hand, and this started when I was like in my twenties for sure, but on the one hand, I just felt so good and strong and empowered and like I could take on the world. On the other hand, I had enough of a kind of feminist consciousness about me that I'm like, why do I feel so good when these people are literally saying like, work off those cottage cheese thighs, like, you know, Memorial Day is just around the corner. Like I'm supposed to hate this. This is patriarchy, you know, but it feels not just so good, but it feels like empowering. Like what's going yeah. on there? And like when I, so I, I went to college in New York City and then I worked for two very dizzying years. And then I went out to get my PhD um, in California at Stanford. And I was working under Estelle Friedman, who's just this feminist icon, founded feminist studies there. And it was really there where I started to sort of work through some of those contradictions um, from an intellectual perspective, reading about women's consumer culture, reading about kind of women's only spaces as feminist spaces, and kind of trying to square that circle a little bit. Um, and then I guess, you know, I just never really take off that historian's hat. Like I'm always walking around the world being like, how did we get here? Why do we do this? Where did this come from? And I really tend to apply those 
those questions to like everyday life things. Like I'm looking at a sandwich, like when did we start eating sandwiches? And so it was sort of natural to do that. And I was actually, it's funny, walking like on the 101, I feel like whenever I'm in LA, I wrongly put in like walking directions. I'm like, it's a mile away and I end up like on some overpass or something. But I remember I was walking. I wish I remembered exactly where it was. And there was a gym kind of over the highway, the freeway. And I saw all these treadmills. It was in the evening. And I looked at that and I was like, all of these people spending money, working so hard running to go absolutely nowhere. Like, what is that about? And so all of these kind of questions started to kind of percolate to, yes, look within and wonder why I was doing this and what I was getting out of it, but also to think why is a culture and how is a culture we got here? Mm. Mm. Well, um, I'm a PhD dropout, so... <laughs> Love you anyway. <laughs> I, I have a, uh, I don't know, maybe a, a less refined historical eye, but I did really appreciate your kind of the journey that you take us on in your new book, which um, we, well, Kate, I don't want to speak for you, but speak I really me. enjoyed speak for me. Um, and thought, yeah, and thought it was such a wonderful kind of comprehensive overview of not just fitness culture, but also like really placing everything in its historical context. Um, and, you know, one thing that I'm wondering is one thing that you talk about a lot, and this is kind of a through line throughout the book, is that the history of fitness and fitness itself seems so imbued with all this moral judgment and adherence to specific Western beauty standards. And I'm wondering how you see those origins kind of continuing to influence fitness culture today? Yeah, that's such a big question and a really good one. Um, so one thing I think that's worth thinking in, about in terms of this moral question is that today and for a couple decades now, we associate working out with positive moral virtue, right? There's a reason yes. I always say, you know, you'll apply for like a job in accounting and you write runs marathons at the bottom. Why do you do that? Because like it's supposed to show you're disciplined and virtuous, right? That was not the case for most of American history. And I think that's something I really want people to grab that if you were something, if you were somebody who spent a lot of time working out, lifting weights, running, you were a health nut. You were a weirdo. Mm. You were weirdly, you know, preoccupied with like the life of the body in a way that made you suspicious. And so that kind of moral calculus has changed over time. And so I think that that mm. is really interesting in terms of body standards. I mean, and beauty standards, there's no question that fitness history is also the history of elevating and enshrining certain physical ideals as desirable and other ones, not only as undesirable, but as immoral. Like it's inextricable from this history that I tell that fat bodies are not just seen as unattractive, but seen as a sign of moral failure. And I mm. think that um, as much of a booster as I am about fitness, I think we can't tell this story without like telling that story, right? Mm. And I do think though, in terms of where we are today, there's been a lot, there is a lot of good work going on right now um, in terms of deconstructing that, less rejecting fitness culture as a whole. I'm always skeptical by people who are like, this whole thing is so corrupt. Like I want nothing to do with it because I think right. you know, kind of saying I'm not going to move as is not the radical act 
that it might seem to be. But if you see, I think one good thing about social media actually is that we have seen a real shift in terms of which bodies are considered fit, a real pushback on the notion that fatness is a sign of moral failure or of ill health or lack of fitness. I mean, I've learned Mm -hmm. in the latter chapters, I cite some folks who, you know, have done a lot of good um, kind of awareness raising around the fact that, you know, there was this first stage, I think, in terms of kind of fat acceptance or even a presence of fat people at the gym where it was like, oh, good for them. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. here trying to get fit and almost like, it's okay if you're here as long as you're trying to improve yourself to get thin. And one of the things like, I'm thinking in particular of Mirna Valerio, who is a self-described fat runner, who's like, just, I've learned so much following her, like- She's in better shape than so many people and such an athlete. And she really pushes back on that notion that some people think about themselves as a form of acceptance or, you know, tolerance to use a word I don't love. And actually that's just another form of fat phobia. And so I do think that social media, we never would have gotten those perspectives in kind of, you know, fitness magazines or the kind of glossies. And I do think social media has done a really good job in saying you can have fitness culture that is disconnected or that rejects this kind of, um, you know, body shaming is a catchword, but this kind of like, you know, celebration of a very particular body standard and condemnation of another. Does that answer the question? Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, the moral judgment thing, I thought, I thought we did see some of that kind of early on, um, even though, you know, you talk about Muscle Beach as, as, you know, the Santa Monica kind of wanting to shut it down and people thinking them as kind of nutty. But like, I guess I'm thinking of some of the government stuff that did seem to have this perspective of like improving the populace. Yes, I can talk about that. So yeah, I think yeah. like the, a really important piece of the kind of transformation from fitness makes you this superficial weirdo who just cares about building muscles and like looking pretty or hanging out at the gym with other unsavory characters, which is a big theme. A big shift in that is, um, you know, efforts by the federal government to connect physical fitness to civic virtue big theme. We don't have that as much anymore, but um, there are a few examples of that. I would say as early as the 1930s, here I draw on the work of an amazing scholar, Rachel Louise Moran, who looks at the Civilian Conservation Corps, which is part of the New Deal. Yeah, I know. It's like the history professor in me comes out. But No, no, it's just so intense, like Civilian (laughs) Conservation Corps. So this is, you know, in the New Deal, reminding everybody, this is a time when, you know, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, like creates all of these agencies to like put people to work and to like, you know, work for the government to get people moving and get the economy moving. And the Civilian Conservation Corps is so amazing because they're putting young men to work on all these public works projects outside. Okay, fine. That's like many of these agencies. But what she uncovers, which is so fascinating, is that like a big part of the cell is like, we'll put meat on your bones and muscle on your body. Mm. And the advertising for this, I mean, it looks like a Chippendales ad. Like it's like these hot guys holding axes and whatever. And the way that they show it is like, this young man was like this scrawny dude who like went off and joined the CCC. He comes back a good citizen with muscle on his body. Mm. And so I think that's an important part of the chapter 
of, of this transformation. And then another piece, which is probably more familiar, but is super, super important is the presidential council on youth fitness. And that kind of kicks off in the Eisenhower era. You know, if we want to win the cold war, we've got to be militarily prepared. All these suburban kids are getting soft because they watch TV and they eat frozen food. And that's the American good life, but it's making us vulnerable. And then JFK, original fitfluencer, I would say, mm. really takes it up to the next level. And he, one of the things he does is this presidential council on youth fitness. He drops the youth and is like, everybody needs to be exercising. And he also is always aware that this is a national security thing. And he talks about how soft Americans are a threat to American um, America being a superpower. But he also is like, this is lifestyle. This is fun. Look at me in Hyannis and Palm Beach, like swimming and throwing a football. Hey, Bobby, I challenge you to do a 50-mile hike. And then all these other people are doing that around the country. And so you're absolutely right, um, Dory, to ask about that, that it's that government project to make being fit virtuous for civic purposes. It's so important. But then much of the story that I tell is like, that's sort of like oppressive and terrible in this Mm. like Cold War apparatus way. But the positive side is it held the seeds of this possibility that we'd actually invest in the infrastructure to make that possible, right? Imagine if we really did have phys ed that was amazing and got kids in shape. Imagine if we had parks and um, running trails and all of those things. The problem is they like planted that seed and this very powerful idea about fitness is virtue, but never really followed through on the infrastructure. Mm. So then an industry really runs with it. And part of the virtuous mm. project is, and if you can afford it, you deserve Deserve to be fit. And those who don't value this or can't afford it, well, their fatness or their apparent lack of fitness reflects on the fact they don't care about health, they're a bad citizen, they're lazy, all the rest. Yeah. Can, I mean, I feel like this is so pervasive now, this kind of, in, including not just fitness, but wellness as a measure of, okay. of class um, mm-hmm. and of virtue. Yes. <laughs> like, like, I mean, and I struggle with this personally because like we talk about self-care on this podcast and it's a, it's a bit of a trap, right? Like we're participants, but it's also, um, it's also kind of, uh, integrated on a systemic level that is really problematic. Yeah. So I think there are at least two important points that you're making there. Well, one is this started out as I want to write the history of wellness and then that felt too diffuse. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, let me focus on physical fitness. But the reason it's so powerful in our culture today, this like, you know, constant entreaties to exercise is because it's no longer just a physical project. It's caught up with this broader wellness project. If you want to be a fully actualized person, you've got to work on your body, the gym being one of those things. And that's really, I think the story of like fitness in America and wellness more broadly from the 1970s until today, really. And you see more and more people buying into this idea that mind and body are connected and that it's up to you to take control of your health. And that idea is a really important shift. Like people in the most part did not believe that early on. Like you have, I cite all these sources of, you know, people criticizing these PE boosters saying, you know, um, if we spend time with kids working on their body, they're going to get stupider. Like there was this notion mind and body were disconnected actually. That really goes away. And one of the things that I, that I, I write about that I, I explain why this became so powerful is like 
even in a moment that was really politically divided, it's very appealing across the political spectrum. Yeah. This idea that you should take control of your own health. You have feminists, you have black power activists who are like, this is self-determination, right? No more dudes in white coats telling me what to do, or I'm frail, or I don't understand my own body. Like I'm going out for a run, I'm taking up space. And it has this progressive cast. On the other hand, you have, you know, a whole conservative movement that's like, this is about personal responsibility. This is about self-discipline. You don't need to wait for some government handout. You should be taking care of your own body. And so I think that that is that kind of expansion of these bodily products to being about being a good person and to kind of taking control of your own health absolutely gets us to wellness today. And then, you know, the last, the or not the last, but another super important piece to that, I think, comes in the 90s when you really have yoga and the gym world converge with one another. And, you know, most people who study this stuff they look at the way that yoga was sort of corrupted by the gym and like this spiritual thing just became about getting jacked and, and whatnot. Sure, that's interesting, but I'm actually interested to your question about the way that yoga really influenced the gym. And it's mm. in the 90s that like people aren't instructors anymore. They're gurus. They're talking about mm. enlightenment. You have a practice. And that really allowed, it introduced this like more elevated idiom of like what you get at the gym. And that can be great. And I think it allowed a lot of people to articulate and experience something really transcendent there. And I'm like one of those people. But on the other hand, it totally raises the stakes that like, oh, you know, you don't work out. It's not you don't work. You just don't work out. It's like, you don't care about wellness. You don't care about health. You're Your kind of soul. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's really, I think, you know, an important chapter um, to explain how we got to where we are today. Well, and of course, you know, and you, you touch on this a bit too, is it kind of, I don't want to say completely excludes, but it, it doesn't do a good job including you know, the disability community or, you know, many other communities for whom this idea of self-determination when it comes to fitness is just not possible. Um, so yeah, I was just, I was hoping you could, you could talk a little bit about that and, you know, I guess also talk about how fitness culture can or should become more accessible. Absolutely. So yes, the big problem with this like breathless um, embrace of like self-determination is that it tends to erase all of the structural factors or even in some individual factors that prevent certain people from taking advantage of this. And I mean, yeah. I often talk about this in terms of like the running and jogging community because that language is so loud there, right? What do you mean? All you need is sneakers and willpower. Just go outside. What's wrong with you? I mean, mm -hmm. come on. What neighborhood do you live in? What body do you inhabit? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's so, um, it's so benighted, I think, in that, in that regard. And so absolutely that um, that story of exclusion and sort of willful ignorance of folks who are being excluded throughout fitness and wellness culture is so um, important. And I think it's so insidious because the kind of inspo is so individualistic, right? And it mm. so ignores a lot of that context. What would, and I think just to, you know, bring in a kind of historical piece here that I think is really interesting, just from like the primary sources that I've been steeped in for so long. Um, I looked at a complaint that was brought against some gyms 
in the early 2000s about disability access. And um, it was interesting to me because the response of the kind of professional or trade association of gyms was like, oh, no, 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 you got to understand, like, it's not that these gyms were deliberately trying to exclude disabled people by being like non-compliant or being inaccessible. None of them ever assumed that people people with disabilities would want to go work out. And to me, that was like, whoa, that is a really different mindset because I feel like today your question, Dory, corresponds exactly to the kind of questions we should be asking. Who's been left out and the presumption we should be more inclusive because this is important enough that everybody should have access. So- where are we now and like, where should we go? I mean, I think one thing that we need to think about, as you mentioned, is access. But I like to push back on the access piece sometimes a little bit to think about like access to what, (laughs) you know, because there's so Mm. many aspects of fitness culture that are pretty disempowering and awful. Like, do I think the world would be a better place if everybody was going to classes where they're being told Memorial Day is around the corner and, you know, um, <sighs> you you need to lose weight? No, that's awful. Like, great. Like, you know, you should have right to whatever you want, but that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. And so I think that we've got to create a world. It's a hard, you know, a hard, a hard world to build. But the way I think of it is we've got to create a world where people can exercise on their own terms. You know, that this isn't an oppressive thing where we're like, everybody must be fit and everybody must take PE and everybody must, you know, get this amount of exercise in this way per week, but where people have more access to opportunities for movement that in which they find joy and in which they find purpose and in which they find community. And yes, in which they can achieve physical health, but that's not it. And I mean, I, this kind of goes back to where we started the conversation. If you had told me, oh, you can go to PE and you have to go to PE every day for the rest of your life. I'd be miserable. It would be terrible. It was being able to have that opportunity, even as a teenager, you know, 30 years ago, to find exercise movement on my own terms that meant something to me um, that I think is so important. And so that's what I think we need to work towards. That is an industry question, but it's much more a policy question, I think. And it's a policy question about safe spaces, like, and I mean, safe spaces, like safe outdoor spaces, well-lit streets, but it's also much bigger. It's about poverty. It's about people having to, you know, travel miles to their shift labor, that job that changes every day and not having childcare. I mean, there's so many pieces here, but you can't write about every piece in one book. So I try to like focus on this, but start to raise these questions that this fitness inequality issue is a social justice issue, Mm -hmm. not just a silly story about like what housewives do after drop off, because I think that is a piece of the story, but that's far from the only story. Mm. We, I think we both want to become your student and just... Yeah, can we audit your classes? Yeah. yeah come anytime. <laughs> I'm teaching a lecture class about this book starting on January 23rd. So I'm super excited about that. Oh, hello. Wow. <laughs> I'll just sneak in my phone there so you guys can, you know, come on in. But yeah, you have an open invitation if you ever want to come to a class whenever you're in the city. or That's that's an honor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. it I, I think... It's so I I appreciate your point of view that, that you're offering that it is so interconnected with so many other aspects of justice. Is there a way that you see um activism kind of come out through fitness? Yes, absolutely. I mean, historically, for sure, I write about, you know, co- feminist collectives in the 70s who are doing self-defense workshops through martial arts classes. I write about black power groups who are also coming together and doing these like collective empowerment sessions also through martial arts. Um, I think today, I mean, you know, just 
right after Trump won, I ran this series called Exercise Your Power, where um, the new school gave me space where I teach and I got food donated and I brought together anybody free of charge who wanted to do an intensity workout, which is kind of very cathartic, eat and discuss kind of a political strategy for the future. And to me, you know, in general, I think that exercise can both cultivate like these communities for empowerment to strengthen yourself and kind of inspire that sense of optimism to do something out in the world. Like to me, the feeling that you have when you leave a great class or run, like there's that sense of possibility. And I think it's really a squandered opportunity not to apply that to more pressing problems than like fitting into your jeans, which is not a non-problem, but it sometimes I think the industry language often stops at that. And, and fitness history is full of examples of people who have connected fitness to kind of loftier pursuits. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it, and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad, they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay, which is okay, I know. visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their mm-hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. OneSkin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at OneSkin.co. That's 15% off OneSkin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Okay, we're back. Dory had a great question in our document about the pandemic. And I was kind of curious where you think fitness and wellness stands coming out of the pandemic. And Dory had noted this kind of resurgence in outdoor recreational fitness. Dory's a tennis player. Yeah, I have to I, I have to admit, um, I was thinking of you yes, when I wrote this question. A, pickle, a pickleball <laughs> player. Yeah. But you also were playing tennis. Like we we all had to, it was like the only escape was to get outside. But then also, I think so much of COVID has kind of, it's changed fitness online. It's changed the conversation about wellness. There's a lot of really toxic, uh, you know, like the rise of the quote, like crunchy movement, anti-vat, like all this stuff is kind of connected coming out of, uh, coming out of the kind of major isolation that took place at the beginning of COVID. I know we are still mm -hmm. in COVID. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, this is a very large question, but I'm just wondering what your kind of like takeaways are and where you see things kind of going coming in this pandemic space. Yeah. And I'll say that, you know, as, as a, having written this book during the pandemic, I was so sad that it was delayed because I had like my kids at home and everything. But then I'm like, thank God that I didn't put this out before I could write the last chapter on the pandemic because it, it kind of accelerated a lot of things already happening, but also changed a lot of things. So, you know, there's a lot in your question, but to start with where you started, I think one of the most interesting things about the pandemic is that it both kind of brought about this resurgence of super low tech recreation, hiking, running, walking, tennis. I mean, the pickleball thing is totally comes out of people needing something to do in open air spaces, right? That, but then you also have this acceleration of the highest tech spaces, right? Like the Peloton boom and all of these other connected programs, which, you know, approximate a pretty decent in-person exercise experience and even the community aspect of it. So I think that's really one interesting thing that's happened. And, you know, the pandemic has gone on for so long that people have created new routines. They've invested in new hardware. Um, they've, some people have rebuilt their houses to accommodate yeah. like new, um, fitness and health routines. So I don't think either of those things are going away. One, I think, pernicious thing that's really happened, though, is that we, every health indicator shows that, you know, health inequality has exacerbated throughout the pandemic. And, you know, people debate, like, how you really measure this, but obesity is up among lower income people in particular. And I think it's no accident, um, that, you know, as people were told, stay inside for some very good COVID prevention reasons, stay inside in terms of health and wellness and everything, quite honestly, means very different things. If you can like rapid order a home fitness setup, or even if you have time to do a free uh, YouTube workout, or you have that kind of space inside to um, invest your time and your money to do that kind of workout, a lot of people don't have it. And we had honestly the side of the political spectrum, which is most often like pro-public programs being like, close the beaches, close the parks, take down the basketball yes. hoops. 
And that to me is heartbreaking. The fact that we had like, you know, we already have had this really precarious kind of public recreation network. And the fact that public pools, parks, playgrounds, all of that, the places where people can actually get free and accessible recreation were like the last to open, no urgency, while people with means are sitting at home and on their Pelotons. To me, that's so egregious and like really a, a moral failure. So I think that's part of the pandemic story. Um, pandemic health and fitness story, um, you know, sort of getting off my soapbox for a little bit and being more of an industry commentator. I do think it's also interesting um, to look at the way brick and mortar fitness is bouncing back and people are going back to the gym in person. And I think that's super interesting because I think what I saw is that a lot of people did almost like an elimination diet with fitness in the pandemic because they had to. And you stripped away everything and people had to kind of bring back different aspects of their routine and really reflect on why am I doing this? What do I get out of it? And like, what's the purpose? And I see people who are like, I can't believe I walk to a gym every day. Like, this is so convenient. I just get up from my computer and I get my workout in and it's done. I talk to other people who are like, I realized what I like is the happenstance like conversation in the locker mm. room or seeing other people or that instructor. And so I think, you know, um, within a certain social class, a lot of people were kind of on autopilot with their workout routines beforehand. And now we're kind of seeing a correction to that or the impact of that as people have had to be more reflective. And it is interesting that even though it's less convenient, a lot of people are going back to in-person fitness. Um, so I think that that's kind of heartening and also kind of proves my point that fitness is about more than just purely physical exercise. Um, when just interesting, I don't know, an interesting point that I found in talking to some um, entrepreneurs and, and, and business people in the industry is that they're confident that brick and mortar fitness will come back, is coming back, you know, and if people had the cushion to kind of make it through, like a lot of them are going to be okay, but that people are not going to like every day walk 20 minutes to go to a 45 minute class or something. And then it'll be more like a destination thing. So you'll see like, oh, once or twice a week, I go for an hour and a half to do this thing outside my house. But the other days I stay home and, you know, maybe work out in my, with my yoga mat and my weights at home. So I think this is still shaking out. As you said, we're still in the pandemic, right? There's still people, lots of people who don't want to go to a gym, you know, even if they can afford it. So we're seeing uh, a lot happening, a, a lot happening there. I, last thing I'll say about that, I did talk to one, a, a, a person who's a founder of a big um, wellness company. And he said, he's like very bullish on like the boom of the sector now because, you know, comorbidities um, related to kind of lifestyle things like exercise were so much higher around COVID. And so he's like, I actually think, you know, once we're like, if we get out of this, this is going to be a higher priority than ever for people across social classes. So we'll see. I'm a historian, not a forecaster, but um, I do think the pandemic has like accelerated certain things, but also like shaken out in ways that were sort of unexpected. Yeah, it's it's made me reevaluate everything in, in so many different ways, um, including having COVID has changed how I like my fitness and, and all that stuff. So it, mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting to, to, to think about from that perspective. I oh, feel yeah. like I've, I mean, it's, it's interesting what you said about, you know, being forced to give up a lot of things and then kind of add things back. Um, and I feel like that has at least led me to prioritize joy and the things that I actually kind of want to do with less thought 
about like, how is this affecting my health? Mm. Or how do I look like it's more just like, I want to get I want to feel kind of personally fulfilled by this. And that is a shift in mindset for me personally. And I don't know how common that is. But I have to I I would guess that it is somewhat common. Um, just in part because I think a lot of people are seeking community that they didn't have during the pandemic. And whether that looks like going back to a gym or playing pickleball or what have you, like I think those are things that people are really seeking out. Um, I totally agree. Yeah. And I think during the pandemic, there was so much of like, let me just survive. Let me just keep my head above yes. water. Let me just not get COVID. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like a baseline survival perspective. And like, ideally, we want to do more than that. Like you say, we want to feel joy. We yeah. want to feel connection. And um, it's heartening to think that we can get back to doing that rather than just getting through the day. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm also wondering, and I was I was thinking about this as I was reading your book, about when I was in France a few years ago, and there are like very few gyms there. Um, and it's just not a part of the culture in the same way that it is here. And mm-hmm. so what I'm wondering is like, how all of this is so uniquely American, um, and whether there are and maybe this is outside the scope of your research, but I'm curious, like, are there other countries or other cultures that have a similar sort of perspective on fitness? Or is this truly a uniquely American kind of way of being when it comes to fitness? Oh my gosh. Great question. And you know, I, this is when I'm like, well, I'm an Americanist. So, but I think I'm right. not going to cop out that way. Um, but first it's funny you mentioned France because I, I, um, took my family. I taught in our, um, study abroad program in Paris for a semester in 2018. And one of the things that I joked about, cause I obviously went to like every gym in Paris to kind of test it out and see what it was like. It's like the only place in Paris where being an American makes you like such a celebrity. Like they're like, Oh, American bootcamp, New Yorker body Californian oh, because fitness. So yeah. And they're all like knockoffs of American gyms, which is really uh-huh. funny too. And so it was like this rare thing where American fitness culture is an export was like so loved even by, you know, stereotypically snobby Parisians who don't maybe love Americans. But is it so American? Well, the first thing to note is that, you know, the beginning of fitness culture in this country is an import. I mean, these are pretty much all those strong men right. and women I write about early on are all coming from, you know, the German states, basically. So that yeah. is really like not inherently American. I mm-hmm. And their stories of importation and appropriation throughout my whole book from yoga, which is obviously a huge one, um, to martial arts, to Zumba. I mean, these are all things Mm. that are bringing in very deliberately, um, or sometimes not that deliberately, aspects of movement and fitness cultures in other Mm -hmm. countries. I Mm -hmm. will say, and that's really important, like my discipline's divided by country, but that's a really artificial and sometimes damaging distinction. Um, I will say, I think it's not an accident that I'm writing this about the United States and that fitness culture has caught on so powerfully in the U.S. because mm-hmm. it coheres so perfectly with our mythology of self-fashioning and our kind of bootstrapping mm-hmm. rhetoric about mm-hmm. um, being a self-made person. I mean, what better arena in which to be like, I did this myself. I'm a self-made man or woman than your own body. Right. And it also coheres like, so there's that like 
individualism of Americans that is so connected to fitness. There's also that optimism of like, I can do it. This is the year. My health is in my hands. And then I also think, you know, we are very ambivalent about our connection to luxury and also conspicuous consumption. Mm. And we talked about virtue, but to me, like one of the reasons why fitness is so performed in the US and which such and with such gusto is because it's not just luxury and indulgence. It's work, right? And Americans Mm -hmm. love to conspicuously consume if we can show that we deserve it or we worked for it. And I think that all of those things, which are so much part of like our American ethos, really converge in fitness culture and really like across political um, divides or cultural divides. It's like pretty pretty compelling. And uh, the last just like data point I'll say is that I think I wrote this book today. This was compelling today for a lot of reasons, but, you know, post, um, financial crisis 2008 and which also is when like Instagram really takes off. Mm. It's kind of like this perfect storm where all of a sudden we're encouraged to like show our lives through this no, new social media platform. And, um, at the same time, it's really unsavory if you're like even sort of self-aware to be like, look at my fancy shoes or my cocktails or, right. you know, my caviar, but to be like, right. look at my leggings that I'm wearing to go sweat at this class. Like I'm being disciplined and virtuous and working towards health. And so mm. that's use a modern example of why the performance of fitness is so public today. Cause even as we've had fitness culture for a long time, like that was not really the case mm. in the 1980s and the 1990s today. This is like something people show off about themselves. Well, and you know too, like the the white white supremacist roots of fitness, which is obviously uh, not just something that occurs in America, but certainly we really have our foothold in white supremacy here. For sure. Like, so I mean, like um, that's that seems like it ties together with kind of the American origin story. Oh, for sure. So one of the things that um, was really interesting to me to find in my research is that, you know, I'm studying these early fitness enthusiasts, these strong men and women. And I was reading Bernard McFadden, who was like one of the early like boosters, very influential in the subculture. And what he was writing about is he was saying, you know, there's this myth that women should be sort of like resting and frail and fragile, but they've got to get rid of their corsets and they've got to start strength training. And I'm like, Mm. yeah, dude, like this is awesome. And then you keep reading. And actually he's talking only about white women. And he's talking Mm. about this as a way to kind of ward off what they called race suicide, because there were so many minorities, immigrants and black people who'd been um, emancipated from slavery who were reproducing at higher rates. And so it was part of a much bigger movement in that time. But um, I found that so interesting because on its face, it seems sort of like you go girl, like let's lift weights, but you keep reading as we all should. whenever we're in doing this kind of work. And um, there was a very different, um, it, it was for a very different purpose. And the other piece, Kate, I think that's really important there is the, um, I found it so fascinating that at this time in the early 20th century, when lifting weight, strength training exercise was seen as unsavory, that one of the most in, like powerful ways that these men um, tried to elevate it and show that this was civilized is they were constantly saying like, I am not a mere breaker of stones. I'm not a mere brute who just lifts heavy things. This is about self-discipline. And this is about the cultivation of a kind of higher order humanity. And there, there's, I won't go into the thing now, it's in the book, but there's a very evocative scene where Eugene 
Eugene Sandow, who's this, you know, very famous strongman who's white, um, kind of overpowers this black bellhop and shows it that like, you see, I train deliberately. He might be physically mm. stronger, but this is civilization. And so I think Ugh. that kind of white supremacy piece is really an important part of that early history um, that, you know, we can't look away from. Mm, your book is so good. I mean, listen, everybody, do yourself a favor. <laughs> Dig in here because you really have it. I mean, it's it's just it's such a great embodiment of of like the way that this discourse covers. It connects so many things and it's interesting to view it all through the lens of fitness and how it all really yeah. does Thank you. connect and overlap. It's ama it's truly amazing. Uh, and it's not Thank something you. you ever really think about, like when you step on the elliptical at the old like New York fitness. I know. I love that elliptical. <laughs> yeah, you know that one. You know that one. <laughs> Thank you. This means so much to me. You know, you labor kind of in obscurity for a long yeah. time to make these to write these things. And thank you so much. Um, well, we should note that in addition to being uh, a historian and a professor, you also teach uh, one of my favorite fitness classes, Intensati. Yes. Where can our listeners find like all the things that you do, uh, where where can they track you down, get more information about your work, events, anything you're offering? Yeah. So definitely NataliaPetrozella.com is pretty up to date. And then Instagram, I'm at Natalia Petrozella and also Twitter. I have the same handle. LinkedIn, I'm more boring, but that's how it goes. <laughs> And if you have a chance to take a class with Natalia, whether it be at the new school or doing yes. Intensati, I highly recommend it. Come see me. I would love to, whether it's to sweat or just to think together. Thank you so much. This is such a pleasure to talk to you, Natalia. Likewise. I'm really honored to come on. Thank you. It's so nice to meet you both. You know, Dory, I loved um, you texted me after our conversation with Natalia and you were like, I would love to take her class. And I think like there's that, I don't know, talking to her, it was like that feeling of just like learning so much, like what an incredible professor she must be. Can you imagine? I felt like I could have just sat here for a month and learned from her. Oh yeah. I mean, she's so dynamic and interesting and like clearly so knowledgeable. And I bet her college classes are just amazing. All right. We have landed in the intention zone, Dory. And last week, you shared that you needed a reset. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like this drawer cleaning has been the start of that reset? Like, do you do you think that's it for you? No. Okay. I mean, okay. well, I I think. Wait, what do you mean by it? <laughs> I mean, like, do you think that is symbolic of your urge to reset? Like, do you feel oh. like that was a step into the reset zone? Oh yes, I thought you meant. Do you think that that is like that's all you need? Like that's no, it? No, no, no. You're okay. not done. Yes, I'm not done, but I do think that that was like a step in the right direction. I'm also like taking, I feel like I'm taking some steps like professionally, like kind of like rebooting my newsletter and, mm. you know, just kind of like trying to feel a little bit more centered. Um, I noticed that you posted that you got sucked into a TikTok trend. And I, I won't say what it is yet, but I I did. Um, I also saw a TikTok trend of like, I mean, this woman, I like went to her profile and she's like 23 and like a CMO. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, maybe like, am I taking advice from you? I, 
I don't know, but like maybe I am. Um, but she had a whole like 12 week life plan happening. And I feel like we've talked about something like this previously, like a three month plan, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I swear I saw this video too. I'm sure you did. I, I feel like there's like multiple ones going around. And so I downloaded her template. I have not filled it out yet, but I'm like, I don't know. Like this kind of shit kind of is like icky to me, but also like maybe it works. You know, like there is an aspect of like, like speaking things into existence. I think that I actually do find powerful, like not to, not to say like, I believe in the secret, but I think that just sort of like stating what you want is a powerful thing. And so I think that would be helpful for me to just feel a little bit more grounded and also feel like I'm working towards something. Dory, did we watch the same TikTok videos? Maybe. So are you going to try to watch? Well, are you, I'm just curious, are you going to try to kind of set up a three month plan? I'm going to, I'm going to actually like look at this template and, Uh, and so funny. I watched this video and see, and see what it is. And like, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is not the exact right thing for me, but maybe there's some other sort of version of it that I can do. You know what I mean? I do. I do. Uh, I had a similar, okay. In addition to the college student who told me about flip phones, again, a phone that I had 20 years ago, but you know, she re-educated me. She, <laughs> this girl also made this video with her friend about like how they implemented this like luck theory where they just keep repeating how lucky they are and that makes things come true for them. And then I watched the original video of basically this, again, a person who cannot be older than 25 talking about how like they just, they have a mantra of essentially like good things always happen to me and how that has changed their life and how good things just only happen to them. And again, there's a lot of factors that go into this. One, it was all white presenting women speaking this. So to me, that flagged because I'm imagining in a society constructed on systemic racism, uh, your whiteness is going to play a big part of your quote unquote luck, right? Like, I think that's Mm. something to be at least explored, uh, so, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look at this from like an, uh, from all angles. Right. And, and obviously mm-hmm. like the toxic positivity angle and like, yep, yep. I yep. also, t- you know, bad things happen all the time and have happened to me and people I love. So like, I don't, I don't buy this idea that you can just like mantra your way into a better life. But I also, I tend to think so negatively about myself and, mm. um, I have a lot of negative self-talk and like discouraging self-talk. And I was just kind of, I was watching these videos and I was like, what can I take away from this that actually might make a positive impact in my life? And it was just kind of, Mm. it was, I mean, it's a little bit of stuff that we've talked about before, like this reframing of things, but you know, like right now I'm kind of in this, like, I'm never going to finish this thing I'm working on. It's terrible. I'm a failure. And like, Mm. what if I actually stopped saying that and was like, oh, this is getting better. I'm working on this. I'm proud of that, you know, just that, that kind of thing. So, so my intention this week is just this kind of like examine positive thinking from like coming from like a rational place, but examine it and what it, and how I could maybe incorporate it into my life. Okay. I like this. 
I like this a lot. Oh, boy, we have been on an emotional journey on this episode. We really have. Well, we appreciate you coming along. By all means, text us, 781-591-0390. Call us or leave us an email, forever35podcast at gmail.com, if any of this is resonating with you, because I'd love to hear about how the hell it's going on in other people's lives. And of course... Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrir and Kate Spencer, and it's produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager, and our network partner is Acast. Thank you for listening. Bye, everyone. <laughs>